Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! Okay, welcome into another episode of the Core 4 Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. I am Matthew Gill, joined as always by Xavier Dotson and David Buckler. Today, guys, we're going to be talking about the decision to move on from Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton from this past offseason. We're going to look at the ATO offensive sets, and we're going to give out a ton of awards. We're going to do a little quarter season check-in on the rest of the league and give out our awards at the trophy case as well. But guys, let's start here. Dave, I'll go to you. We just watched an absolute classic, another in the long line of the Grizzlies-Knicks kind of rivalry. It seems like those guys always play close games. 127-123 win. Uh, What were your instant reactions from that game? I think it shows good maturity that we win these kind of games. That's a really tough place to play, Madison Square Garden. Even when the Knicks don't have a very good team, that's still a tough place to play. The crowd is right there. And and I think that you're seeing young kids sort of grow up and win these kind of games now in, in a tough building against a team that I think there's a little chippiness between the two teams also, right? So I thought this was a really good test on a Sunday. Those 6 o'clock Eastern start times are a little weird sometimes. And uh, not a perfect performance, but they came out of New York with a win. It's great. Yeah, always good when you can uh, win a little bit ugly. I want to go back to Tuesday, Xavier. You've had your eyes on Sacramento for uh, a while, the rest of the whole season. We were talking about them in the offseason. That was another uh, close game as well. What uh, did you kind of take away from that loss uh, against the Kings? I mean, even if we, I know we had that comeback at the end. I wouldn't have been satisfied with that win because they did not play great bas- basketball that game. And, you know, like I have been high on the Kings. I'm happy that they're playing well now. Like they're actually the best offensive team in the league right now. The Air Force has been playing amazing. But that game right there, a lot of people was talking about like, wow, we really miss our role players between Milton and Kyle Anderson on Twitter. You saw a lot of people bashing their rookies was and asking like where – where are we going to have everybody to step up at? Because, I mean, we have injuries right now. But, I mean, you look at the response that this that the Grizzlies team had, uh, a blowout victory against the Pelicans. I know CJ wasn't playing, but, man, that was, an emphasis, that was a statement game right there. And to win, like what Dave said, it's a rough environment. Every time you go up there to Madison Square Garden, you got the stars there. The Knicks always want to play some good basketball. And then you got the crowd that's always rooting for uh, – it, it seems like they always root for the opposing team. Especially when you got a star like John Morant. But yeah, Dave, I feel like there is some chippiness going on between those teams. And I think it goes back to like the 2020 season. I don't think a lot of people remember this. It was the end of the game. We was blowing out the Knicks. Jay Crowder sort of, we was up by 20. It was like 45 seconds left. Jay Crowder put up like an ill-advised shot. And they didn't take too well of that. I remember Elford Payton pushing Jay Crowder down, and it was a scuffle. Since then, it has been a ball game every time we play against the Knicks. And it's going to be a good game. So I'm happy that we pull out the dub, John Morant, drop a triple-double. And really, the whole starters just played a great game tonight. I, 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 I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah, Brunson I thought was, uh, Brunson was pretty special, too. Right, Matt? I mean, he, he missed those two shots at the end. But he he was been a good free agent signing for the Knicks. Yeah, he's been great for him. I uh, I wanted to add, yeah, I thought the it was really a well-balanced uh, game from the Grizzlies, especially that starting lineup, everybody in double figures scoring. A lot of great rebounding, passing, moving the ball and stuff. Uh, I want to go back to that that game against Sacramento. The thing that really stuck out to me and what, what the game came down to was the free throw shooting, right? The Grizzlies 
terrible from the line in that game against the Kings, and they responded well, 74% right around there in both the games since, uh, which is a good sign as well. And then the turnover numbers against the Kings was was a problem as well, especially in that second half where the Kings kind of got back in that game and, and took the lead and were able to get away with that win for sure. And, and it was just an odd uh, optically uh, that video where Jaws telling Monk, don't miss, don't miss. And then Ja ends up missing the uh, clutch free throws. And then again, we see tonight in the Knicks game, Ja does miss a free throw there at the end that um, gives you a little bit of concern in my mm-hmm. mind. I mean, but it is a, it is a thing. You think back to Giannis the year that they won the title, like that was what everybody said about him. Can't make free throws. And then when the lights were the brightest, he turned it on. So I'm not worried about Ja. He'll, he'll figure it out. He'll get it. Um, more consistently hitting from the line for sure. But Xavier touched on it. A lot has been made about the Kyle Anderson uh, leaving him free agency and the D. Anthony Melton trades. Uh, so let's hit that now, guys, in the climbing corner. I'll just start here very broad, Xavier. 20 games in, do those two moves feel like the right moves to you at this point, 20 games in? I mean, yes and no. Uh, I do miss both of the guys. They were crucial members of this team. They provided different things. Melton was a microwave of a scorer, and you know he was going to bring defense each night. And those guys, they were a part of the system for it was about three, four years now, and like they've grown tremendously, especially Melton as a great basketball player that you have. Great basketball player that he's playing right now. Uh, They went out and beat Harden and Maxie, and he's stepping up to be the main scorer every single night. Right now, Milton is averaging 11 points and two steals a game. That's pretty big. He's number two in the league in steals, and you got Kyle Anderson over there in Minnesota averaging 6.3 points and six rebounds per game. But I just don't feel like it was just, oh, like I'm drastically missing them due to the fact like we had two bad losses. I think it was a lot of overreacting. I understand, yeah, we had – these rookies, they're playing a lot of minutes and they're not providing right away as a lot of people thought that they, a lot of people thought they would. But who cares? We just saw last year that Zaire played his first 20 games. That, that was terrible basketball by Zaire. And as the season continues to grow along and continue growing, these rookies become more comfortable and they know their role and they know how to play great basketball. David Roddy plays great basketball today. I, I saw a lot of improvement from David Roddy today, from the defensive end and to him shooting those threes and being comfortable. And I feel like John Morant really brings so much confidence into those rookies and stall it to them. I don't feel that we are making a, a taking a big hit, losing Melton and Cal Anderson. A lot of people forget. Yeah, Melton was great last year. He provided his 10 points and he was a microwave a lot of the times, but he was sort of, sort of a non-factor during the playoffs. So, I mean, yeah, he felt he helped us win a lot of games during the regular season, but what we all want to go to is a championship now, and we and you can't provide for us now during a long run during the playoffs. Why are you here? Uh, essentially, I mean, I understand. Yes, it, it was rough losing those two games against the the was the Nets, and then of course with the Kings. But at the end of the day, like I said, I feel like we just got to tread water. The reinforcements are coming. And, I mean, we're playing some great basketball now. Like, you obviously see that those two wins didn't bother them. They come back, bounce back, and made it. I feel like that was a statement win against the Pelicans because that week before us, the Pelicans really whooped us. Turn around and do that. That has Zion. I know Brandon Ingram got injured. And that no CJ. We still don't have Zaire. We still don't have Bang. 
I mean, I'll call that an equal match right there. And then to go up there to a tough MSG and get it done today, I feel like it, it. we're still a great team. Yeah, it was a good end of the week. Uh, and I think Zion's plus minus in that game was minus 32. That's really something else for a player we think of as like a, an all-star Cowboy player. But And it took him a while to get rolling. Uh, Dave, I'll, I'll ask you, are we even talking about the – uh, you know, Melton and Kyle Anderson being gone, if we do have those guys, Bain and Zaire, in those two games, does anybody even remember that we lost those two guys? I think we're sort of looking at this from the wrong perspective. And Zaire, um, Xavier, excuse me, mentioned, you know, a little bit of overreaction. Uh, on, and it's fun, right? It's after a loss, we, you know, we, we grumble on Twitter and we go back and forth. That's what's fun about being a fan. But, you know, I, I kind of disagree, too, that Melton was great off pitch. They're, they're both nice players. They're fine. They're average NBA players. If you look at their statistics, it's, it's amazing actually how career-wise they're very similar. They're, and we liked them as part of the team, part of the culture, but they were minimalized in, in that Golden State playoff series. And we have different goals now. The goal is to win a championship. The goal is not to be a competitive team. And it's not just to squeeze into the play-in round. And I don't see how, even if we had Kyle Anderson and De'Anthony Melton, were a better team than last year. See, that's what I think is the overall problem here. Has the team improved? that we can now push through to the Western finals and the finals. Melton and slow-mo aren't, aren't the, 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 the thing that's going to do that. And Ravia and, and, you know, Roddy and these rookies are fine. My biggest concern goes back. I think we're a player away. And because we have not been healthy and this gets dissected all the time on Twitter too, about the health issue, right? And the problem is it's hard to see what this team looks like in its totality and to make a smart move then Say which pieces can we upgrade at when we don't really know what the team is right now? I, I think that Slow Mo and Melton they're fine, but I don't know if we're better or worse. We haven't seen the full team play. I really feel I told you before. By the time the spring comes around, we we have to get a, another star or another veteran that we can count on in a playoff series to put twenty on the board. Yeah, you mentioned it uh, could be just a veteran, and I think a guy that's gotten lost in uh, when we think about the DeAnthony Melton trade. Danny Green is a guy we haven't seen yet. Is that a guy that you think could fit that role? I love his presence on the team, and he's had a nice career. I don't think at this stage in his career, I don't even think ever at any stage of his career, he was uh, a, a truly dynamic NBA player. He was a good player. But I, I just I look, you know, in those games, and they're going to happen in the playoffs, where, where Morant or Bain gets schemed out. You, know, they play, you play a team six, seven games in a row. They're good defenders, good coaches. Who's going to step up consistently? Are we really happy with Jaron Jackson, like thinking that, that he's going to step in and consistently score 25 in the playoffs, that Dylan Brooks is consistently? Do you trust these guys at that level and those high-intensity games? And I think we're a little thin when it comes to that, we have good regular season depth. We've talked about that difference before. I think we have good regular season depth. I worry about the playoffs. And when the game slows down, the defense is better. Where is the athleticism outside of Ja? And outside of Ja. I mean, Jaron's Jaren, athletic. But I, I – there. So there you are, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm off. I'm off. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on the athleticism thing. I think it really comes down to shot creation. This team just needs more shot creators, yes. and that may be um, kind of the thing that you're looking for when you say that we need another stars. We just need another guy, in my opinion, that can get his own shot, and Dylan has proved he can do that, but not always the best shot. In my opinion, the reason that 
this uh, slow-mo and melt thing kind of came up on Twitter this week as it was just kind of a culmination of a lot of things. The losses, obviously, as Xavier said, and Melt's been on kind of a tear the last five games for Philly. 16.8 points, 5.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists, shooting it at almost 44% from three and three steals a game over the last four, uh, excuse me, the last five games. So I think that that all played into the fact that all this got brought back up. But yeah, we got to remember that he was almost unplayable in the playoffs last year. Kyle Anderson's already missed six games this season for Minnesota, and he's not been an awesome contributor to them um, when he has played. So in my opinion, I think that I would push back, Dave, just on you a little bit in that I think that when you are talking about championships, the fact that you've replaced those two guys with rookies, I don't know that we can trust them in the playoffs. And maybe that does come back to your point that we are still a player away. But, I mean, I argue, though, like we talk about a shock grader. I still feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams made a big jump at the end of the year last year, and I think he made a big jump during the summer league. He learned how to make create his own shot and create shots for others. Uh, so I think this could be a big contributor off the bench. I feel, still feel like he could be a double-digit scorer coming off the bench. But, and as well, like, you know, when Dylan becomes erratic and shoot those crazy shots, Zaire can step <laughs> in and be – vocal and still be disciplined and as well play that great defense. I, I feel like that's our secret weapon. A lot of people don't know. So I, I have faith in Zaire and that's why I still feel that I don't think the Grizzlies need to make a trade this year. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. We just got to, we got to see these guys play together, right? I'm super psyched for to have the full roster, the full boat of everybody back. Um, and hopefully by, you know, the turn of the year, the turn of the calendar, hopefully we'll be, uh, ready to see all those guys back together. Uh, let's move on now to our second segment. All right, second segment for today's episode. We're doing Xavier's X's and O's. We're going to be looking at the after timeout, uh, kind of the sets, the efficiency, everything that the Grizzlies have been doing on their ATO plays this season. I have criticized them uh, a couple times on this podcast saying that their half-court offense is a lot of standing around. But in my opinion, you got to give Taylor Jenkins a lot of credit for the way he can design these ATO plays. Xavier, what's your thoughts uh, on the way Jenkins has been getting guys open shots? Yeah, like like you were saying, like Taylor Jenkins is phenomenal with the ATOs. I don't know how he does it, but it's just – it, it's like a guaranteed basket every single time when he has a timeout in <laughs> offensively. And I think is he's able to have, have – I think they have – the Grizzlies have so much respect for Taylor Jenkins. I think a lot of people don't realize that. I know a lot of people criticize Taylor Jenkins with his decision-making and how he utilizes lineups. But the players really respect him and they listen to him. When you have somebody as John Morant that understands X's and O's, they become as a unit, him and Taylor Jenkins – and I want to discuss like under the basket situations when the time after the timeouts, it's a guaranteed basket every single time for the roller straight going literally straight to the basket to the to the paint. Typically, what they do is stack up and like they setting screens on one another. This is like a basic high school play that I mean people have been running this since the two thousands. You would think that they would know this, but when you have guys like John Morant. And Desmond Bain, a lot of the attention is going to be drawn to them. It's a simple straight to the basket. I know Dylan Brooks had a layup earlier today against the Knicks. I know the other night it was Brandon Clark had a layup. And it's just such simple execution that's going to lead to a basket. And then another play I like when they run is 
it's a screen that you got Dylan. No, you have John Morant bringing the ball up, and then it's a split action between Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson. Dylan Brooks has been shooting the ball impressively lately behind the three point arc. So basically, Dylan Brooks will be coming up from the free throw line, heading straight up to the three point three point arc, and Jaron will set the screen. Uh, John Morant will penetrate, and then boom, he kicks it out to Dylan. Dylan makes the three. I think that's a phenomenal play, especially when you got Dylan Brooks that's making those shots. I know if Bang Bang was there, that would be that would be Bang spot right there to make the three. But the ATOs, I'm happy about this man. Like like I said, I feel like this is easy basketball, and you like you were saying, Matt. I think Taylor Jenkins need to utilize this utilize this a lot more during the half court sets, not just after timeouts. Just have these guys run those plays throughout the the game, and not just ball watch John Morant. Yeah, and that's the thing that's so curious about it to me is, like, the ATO stuff is so beautiful. He does get guys open shots almost constantly. It's almost always either, like, a Brandon Clark dunk or, as you said, a Dylan Brooks open three or Bain when he's in there. I think Bain's really the key to some of the success that they have when he is out there being able to space the floor and his catch-and-shoot ability as well. Uh, Dave, you've kind of talked about the playoffs and things slowing down and stuff like that. We think back – to the Timberwolves game when uh, Ja had that game winner off a great ATO set where Anthony Edwards just got completely lost. It's such a big part um, of the playoffs as well when you uh, when you are – it's stop and start. There's fouls. There's timeouts constantly, and you got to get a big bucket. I, I really think Taylor Jenkins deserves a ton of credit for the way he can scheme those plays up. Oh, yeah, and and I think even defensively, you know, we talk about ATOs and how we set up offensively. I think we guard pretty well on the ATOs as well. We have a lot of switchability and, and, and versatile defenders, but it, it's it's really interesting. If you've ever coached basketball, how many ATO type plays you need? Uh, Xavier, you talked about the ones on the baseline, but it's amazing on the sidelines, late in games, shot clocks winding down. It's just so many different combinations of plays that need to be there. And what I'm always impressed about is how organized the team looks. I, I really feel more often than not, much more often than not, they get a good look at the basket and a good play out of those, out of those situations. And that does come back to coaching. Taylor Jenkins, it's very interesting. I, I, there are times I think his, his roster or who's on the game at a certain time. For example, in the Sacramento game, he had Steven Adams in a game late. He can't play Steven Adams in a game like that when he's so terrible at the free throw line. The announcer even said he can't touch the ball or be involved in the play because the Kings are going to foul him right away. And if it's, a, if it's an off-ball foul, right, that's what, two shots and we still get the ball. But it's very difficult to have someone like Steven Adams out there late in the game when he's so terrible at the free throw line. And I was surprised. I didn't think that that was Jenkins' best coaching job against the Kings. But that's maybe nitpicking a little bit because in general, I think he does a pretty good job dealing with the injuries, dealing with a, a lot of guys that want to get on the court. And I think the ATO situation sort of highlights that he, he has a pretty good command of, of the X's and O's. Yeah, I think it so clearly draws back to um, your coaching and your ability to coach if you can't be so successful at the ATOs. And uh, Xavier, as you said, I think they're awesome at it under the basket. That's really where they um, shine the brightest. And while we're talking about Taylor Jenkins, I you know, I think – Coaching-wise, you brought it up, Dave, their ability to kind of get Steven Adams to the free throw line and that helped them get back in that game. The Kings, they figured out something where when he goes up to make to set the screen, they figured out they can just foul him because he's a part of the play at that point. It's that's not right. away from the bait. That was something I had never thought of. And when the announcer brought it up, I was like, dang, that's 
that's not something good for everybody else to figure out, especially come playoff time. Like if you can just get him, wait till he gets involved in that on ball screen action and figure that out. But um, yeah, I think Jenkins deserves a ton of credit. As I said, he's clearly doing it, it on purpose that he wants there to be guys ready to catch and shoot for job ja when he makes a play. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, as Xavier said, I wish he would kind of get some of these great actions involved in the half court offense as well. All right, let's move on now to our third segment. We're going to look at the rest of the NBA real quick. We're going to do so by giving out some quarter season awards. All right, this league segment uh, for this week, the Grizzlies have reached the 20-game mark. 21-20 games is about the quarter mark for the season. So I wanted to catch up with the rest of the NBA. Uh, we've been doing our rankings uh, for title contenders, but I want to do a little bit of a check-in with everybody and see where we're standing uh, on some of the major awards around the NBA this season. Uh, so, Xavier, I'll start with you. Who is your MVP a quarter of the way through this NBA season? Yeah, I think it's safe to say. I think I feel like everybody's going to say this. I'm going Jason Tatum. I mean, the 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 ball that he's playing right now is, is phenomenal. I feel like he's learned a lot from that finals experience, a lot of things that slow down to him. And, I mean, you look at the Boston record right now, they're top of the league, they're elite defensively, they're elite offensively. And I said this before, a lot of people felt like what T-Mac and Vince Carter should have been, that's what Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum, that's what they're doing right now with the, hmm. the Celtics. And you just look at his stats, he's averaging 30, 31 points a game, eight rebounds and five assists. He's playing elite level. And I think what separates him – in this MVP category is his defense. He's the team – well, a lot of people think Marcus Smart is the, the team best defender, in which I got mixed feelings about Marcus Smart. Y'all yeah, know about <laughs> Marcus Smart. I feel that Jason Tatum is the team best defender, perimeter defender, because his uh, he's able to guard all, all five positions. He's going to play hard-nosed defense, and he's not scared of the competition. Jason Tatum has been playing magnificent. I don't see him dropping anytime soon. Um I know sometimes he, he, his, his efficiency can be off night to night, but I still just feel like he's just playing too high of a level ball right now. Yeah, Tatum for me as well, Dave. You have Tatum. Yeah, and I can't believe we're a quarter way through the season already. And and he's the MVP at this point. And how about his splits? Xavier, you mentioned his stat line, but his splits, he's, he's shooting 48% from the field, 87% from the line, and and 35% from three. Just fabulous. For a team that had a little bit of a chaotic offseason, he's come in and just been, been spectacular. We'll see where we're at the end of the season because there's some other contenders out there. I mean, Steph Curry's been fa- absolutely fantastic. Giannis is always great. John Moran's been great. I mean, there's other guys that could enter this conversation right now. Luca, Mark, I think it's got to be Jason Tatum. Yeah, I would throw Luca in that conversation yeah. as well. And, yeah, I, I got Tatum as well. The Xavier talked about his jump as a defender. I really like the way he's um, kind of made a jump as a playmaker as well. I go back to that Atlanta game uh, from a week or two ago that really kind of moved them up our contender rankings. They had no Malcolm Brogdon, no Marcus Smart, and uh, Tatum kind of took over the playmaking duties for him and, and made a really um, solid solid uh, game. And, and during their playoff run last year, too, he was kind of their primary ball handler while Jalen Brown was kind of struggling. Um, keeping his dribble and stuff like that. So, yeah, Tatum's made a huge leap, obviously, and that that puts you firmly in the MVP conversation, especially best player, best team. 
got to look at Jason Tatum for sure there. Uh, all right, let's move on to defensive player of the year. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be uh, interesting. We had the same MVP choice. I wonder the rest of the awards here, how, how, how we'll line up. So for me, the defensive player at the year's point is Anthony Davis, the Los Angeles Lakers. I think if you – I know the Lakers are having a, a difficult season – He's been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, 27 points a game. I know we're talking defensive player of the year. He is averaging almost 13 rebounds a game, over two blocks, and over a steal and a half per game. I think for his size, the way he moves when he's healthy, when he's engaged, when he's in shape, I think he's an absolutely amazing defensive player. And I think at this point, anyway, he would get my award. Xavier, defensive player of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you, Dave, to an extent that, yeah, AD is playing phenomenal basketball, especially on the defensive end. But I think you just look at it at the standpoint. Typically, when they have these awards, the losing team, losing teams, regardless of your stats, you're not going to win it. And so that's why I give it to Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez, like I said before, has been awesome uh, defensively. Bro's averaging three – no, yeah, yeah. Almost three blocks a game and still a game. And I, like I said, a lot of people feel that Giannis is the, their defensive anchor. It's Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is guarding. Like, he's basically revamped his whole career of being a 3 and D guy now. And he's been the elite defender inside the paint or an eraser. You don't want to go inside if Brooke Lopez is there. And I think he's contributing to a lot of the, uh, great wins for the for the Bucks right now. Like, they're number two in the, uh, in the East. And I don't see them bagging down anytime soon, especially when you have a healthy Brooke Lopez. Yeah, it was interesting when I was looking uh, at the stats and, uh, or excuse me, the odds for the on the sports books of who was going to be the defensive player of the year. Brooke Lopez is number one right now, which I thought was crazy that he uh-huh. would be over Giannis. Um, I love Giannis as well. I think he's a great defensive player. I got one that's a little bit further off the board. Uh, again, I was kind of looking at the betting line, so that may have influenced me a little bit, but – Evan Mobley, man, as a second-year player, is a really good defender. And me and Xavier both really are high on Cleveland. We've talked about them and their title contending uh, chances. Mobley does a lot of really good things things for them on the defensive end. Uh, doesn't have some of the stats that Davis, Brooke Lopez, even Giannis have, but he is a really big part. He's a great switchable player. Maybe he's not going to have the defensive player of the year stats to win it at the end of the year, but I think he's one of the most versatile defenders in the entire NBA. So I think that he definitely deserves some consideration for sure. Um, so I got Evan Mobley there. Um, rookie of the year. This might be another one where we're all in, in some agreement here, but uh, I'll start with you, Xavier, for your rookie of the year. Well, I'm rocking rookie of the year. I'm rocking Benedict Mactorin, bro. Yeah, I feel like he actually is two two on two on my list right now. He's rookie of the year and six man. I'm sorry to jump. Ah, yes. He's been playing phenomenal ball over there. He's like a microwave of a score. I don't know why Rick Carlisle isn't starting him yet. I mean, I think he's just giving him a hard time and that's just giving him more fuel to come off the bench and drop 30 a night. But Benedict has been playing great. I think a lot of crucial reason behind that is Tyrese Halliburton setting him up. I think a lot of people underrate Halliburton. That is a, he, he, I think he's taking a title of being the point guy. We talk about CP3 being a point guard guy. Tyrese Halliburton, the way he sets up his people is is, is amazing. But yeah, Benedict Mathurin, I got him as my uh, rookie of the year and, and as well as my sixth man. 
Yeah, to skip ahead, I, I also have him in the sixth man. And I got a little something for Halliburton coming later as well. Uh, he has had a great season. It's going to be tough only because I think Paolo has so much more scoring opportunities and obviously is a starter um, on a team that as of right now has a worse record as well. So you got to factor that in. But I do still have Paolo as my rookie of the year. Dave, what about you? Yeah, you got me excited, Xavier, because I, I had him as rookie year and six man as well. I think Ben Ben Matherin, right? Is, is he Ben now? Has he earned, earned the right to be Ben Matherin? Um, he's been fabulous. 19.4 points a game and contributing to a winning team. And it's a fair point you made earlier about Anthony Davis uh, and the Lakers struggles. And, you know, those players don't usually win the awards. Well, the Pacers are a really good story. And a team that maybe two years ago looked like they were adrift and they're always in trade rumors and all this stuff. They've got some interesting pieces now. And I think they hit an absolute home run in the draft. He looked really good in the summer league. I remember when I saw him in Vegas, the way he carried himself, he just, this, as if this kid can play in the league, he, he just had a nice confidence to him. He's, you know, I think he's been great. I mean, you know, goodness gracious, shooting over 42% from three point range. It's a really nice player for them. Yeah. You talk about the way he carries himself. The kid is a dog. Absolutely. Yeah. And you look into his story, man, like he, went down to Mexico, like by himself, you know, sent away from his family basically to uh, go to one of those academies down there and then goes to Arizona and is obviously a killer there. He's, he's absolutely got all the makings of being a really good NBA player uh, for his entire career. Um, so yeah, shout out Ben Matherin. I still got Paolo in that spot for rookie of the year, but let's move on now to the coach of the year. I think this is going to be another one where we all might have a different answer. Dave, I'll start with you. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. I have uh, Joe Mazzulla for the Boston Celtics. 15-4 uh, and four record, we know about that. But coming into that situation where he got the job so close to the start of the year and everyone thought there'd be chaos in Boston, what's this going to do? A and I think he's just come right in. And there are expectations in Boston. This isn't Charlotte. So he came into a team that expects to be deep, deep in the playoffs. And, and just coming in and being a steady hand, they look great. I and I think that's important. And the job he's done there has been incredible. Xavier, coach of the year. Yeah, I have to agree with Dave, Joe Mazzula. I feel like I don't know for a fact if he's actually eligible to win coach of the year because, you know, Ema is still technically the head coach. And I don't, I don't know if y'all remember back, was it, I think was it the 2017 Warriors when Steve Kerr was out for the whole year, basically, and uh, Luke Walden won all those games. And technically <laughs> – like, technically, I mean, it was Luke Walton winning the games, but all those wins counted towards uh, Steve Kirk. So, I don't know for a fact, but I'm going with Joe Mazzula, like like you were saying, Dave. I mean, he was handled, like, a, a, I wouldn't say a rough position, but, like, they wanted winning right away, and that's what he's giving. Like like you said, number one in the East right now, they're 16-4, and four, and I don't see them coming off anytime soon. And, and like, those guys are actually listening to him. And I, I'm starting to see now that he's actually implementing more of his plays and how he wants to run it now compared to just trying to focus on what Eme had is and, and, and already installed. And now they're more comfortable and, and guys are just – they're playing great basketball. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up right now the odds to see if anybody has Missoula posted. I think that in the end he will definitely be a candidate um, or at least should be. I don't know if he's eligible or not, Xavier. That's a great point that you brought up. I'm not able to get any lines right now. Everybody's got them down while games are going on, but we'll check in on that. Um, if we're just doing who's the coach of the year through the quarter way, though, right now, it's Will Hardy to me. Couldn't have a worse roster. They're only good because of the scheme. 
um, that he has implemented. They play a really good five-out scheme with a ton of guys that can all handle the ball in the break and shoot the three as well. So Will Hardy needs a ton of congratulations for what he's done. They are kind of falling back to the middle now, as they should, uh, in the race for the number one pick. But Will Hardy's done a great job, and I know Boston – is very happy with what they've got out of Missoula so far. But, man, that was a huge get by the Jazz to steal Will Hardy away from Boston. He probably would have been their coach this season had he not gone to Utah. He's shown he's a really good coach, super young dude, too. He's going to continue to be a great coach for many years to come as the Utah Jazz continue that rebuild. We'll move on to the sixth man. Uh, Xavier, you said you had Matherin. I've got Matherin. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, Matherin as well. Yep. Oh, is that a triple uh, for uh, Matherin there? All right. Uh, shout out Ben Mathern then. Uh, and then let's uh finish up here with most improved player. Uh, Xavier, you go ahead. Yeah, most improved. I got the goat right now. That's Laurie Marketing. Man, Laurie Marketing has been so impressive and ridiculous. Like I, I, I think he's blown everybody of his play, averaging twenty two points. He killed the Grizzlies that back to back nights. Uh, I mean he's he's been playing extraordinary basketball, like you were saying, like the Jazz. Nobody had them in mind to come out this this the season right away hot like this. And I know that like, yeah, now they're falling back down to earth. They they're taking a lot more L's, but Laurie's still just playing some phenomenal ball, whether it's defensively, offensively. It's just it was like, man, what is what has gotten into Laurie Morgan? You want to go in this back or with the Bulls. So I think it all comes down to Lord Martin finally being able to play his right position. He's playing the four instead of the, the three or the five. And, I mean, I, I he's actually taking advantage of it. Here he is averaging 22 points, having multiple 30-points games, 40-point games, shooting game winners. And like I said, like he was looking like the goat out there. I'm just playing about that. But, man, I'm happy to see Martin and balling like this. And, um, yeah, that's why I got him for most improved right now. Yeah, I think he definitely was kind of miscast in Cleveland, and I think too much was probably on his plate in Chicago. So now he's um, obviously matured enough to where he can take on more of a scoring role. He's shooting the ball at better efficiency as well. So that's um, all contributed to him having a much better season as well, definitely deserving uh, for some most improved nods. Dave, um, interested to hear who you've got here. SGA is the favorite to win this award right now, but uh, I'm interested to see who you got for most improved. Oh, he's, he's so good. And by the way, if, if we were in climbing corner right now, what, what what would it take to get marketing in a Grizzlies uniform? I think he'd look pretty good in, in, in Beale Street blue. Some of the things he would add to the team. But uh, in any event, I, my most improved for, for the league award at this point, I have Miles Turner from Indiana. Uh, his career average is 12.9 points. He's up to over 18 and a half a game. His field goal percentage is up 8%. He's shooting 46.7% from threes. He's blocking close to three shots a game. And, and I say that also because of the constant speculation that they're going to move him. And I know this is a business and these guys make a lot of money and everything, but it is sort of hard not to like hear that all the time and have it not affect your play or feel rooted. Like, is, is this my team? Am I going to grow with this young Pacers team? I think what he's done the first quarter of the season has been great. Although I, I like, uh, I like Xavier's answer a lot too. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, yeah, it may be bothering you, but he also kind of exacer exacerbated it by saying the Lakers should come get him, which was yeah, a, yeah. a weird move. Fair <laughs> point, fair point. To say the least. But, uh, yeah, he's he's improved. And I also have uh, a pacer as well. I got Halliburton. Um, I think he's made a huge jump. He's obviously been a good player. And I, I think it's interesting that everybody has SGA already penciled in for this award. And I wonder if it's because we're a Grizzlies podcast where we're like, no. 
That's the same thing they did to Ja last year. He was already sick the year before. Like, what's the point of giving it to him? OKC literally had to shut SGA down because he was winning them too many games. I don't think that the award should be for a guy like that who is already a very good and, and accomplished player uh, like Ja was, like SGA is. Um, you know, even though he hasn't had necessarily the winning success, we've always known that he's a killer. Um, so I like Halliburton for this award. Still a young kid getting better all the time. We talked a lot of the Pacers on this podcast today yeah. uh, for whatever reason. They've come up a couple times. But, yeah, um, so Halliburton there for me for m- most improved. Um, so that is our quarter season awards list um, for the rest of the NBA. Let's finish up, guys. Uh, in the trophy case segment, we'll give out a couple Grizzlies awards and we'll get out of here. All right, now in the trophy case segment, we've all got a couple of awards. Everybody on this Grizzlies team deserving of a little credit. But, uh, Dave, I'll start with you. What kind of trophies, what kind of awards, what kind of bling you giving out this week? Yeah, I got a couple. I always like this segment. My first award this week, it's going to be the Giannis Award, and it's going to go to Jaron Jackson Jr. If you go back to the NBA Finals when the Bucs played Phoenix, remember they lost the first two games, right? Phoenix went up 2-0. But something happened in the second half of that game two loss where Giannis kind of realized no one in this team can stop me. And then the Bucs won the next four games, won the NBA title. And since Jaron's come back from his foot injury, we are seeing him take the extra dribble, finish closer to the rim, not settle. And I think the way he's carrying himself and getting good looks at the basket, and I think turning into like a really, really strong offensive player now, it reminds me of when Giannis sort of took that next step. I'm not saying Jaron's going to be Giannis, but I see an improvement in his game where he's kind of looking around saying, wait, no, why am I taking jump shots all the time? No one can stop me. I'm going to start going right to the rim and I'm going to dominate. You got my Giannis award this week, Jaron. Nice. Um, yeah, I think he's obviously shown a higher level of aggression, um, and that's been nice to see. We've always kind of dogged on him for being a little too passive, so it's interesting to see him kind of show a higher level of aggression. Um, Xavier, what uh, what kind of awards you got? I got one for the week. I've said I've had this award once before. I'm gonna give it to the same guys, the Big Yeager Award. And that's Stephen Adams. Stephen Adams had a huge week. I know the free throw shooting has been abysmal, but offensively, he still has been great. And the aggressive Stephen Adams is always wonderful for this team. Yeah, Stephen Adams finished this week with 13 and a half points, 11 rebounds. And like I said, the aggressiveness offensively, rolling hard to the rim, that's what we need. And when he went against the opposing big man or who we traded for, of Jonas Valanciunas, in which I named the award after him because of his <laughs> depression offensively, he completely shut down Jonas. We sh- he showed why, yeah, this is why they traded for me in that first quarter. He came in and had like 12 points. So, yeah, I'm going Stephen Adams. He does the dirty work. He's going to be the group. He's going to always be that bodyguard for the, for the Grizzlies because, I mean, it was some drama going on against the Pelicans. And you know when you, when uh Stephen Adams there, Pelicans gonna start stepping away. You don't want to miss Stephen Adams. That's awful name. But at the end of the day, I'm giving it big Yaga award Stephen Adams. Yeah, shout out Stephen Adams. He had a great week. I, I you were dead on. He looked really good in that Pelicans game and went right at Jonas uh, from the tip. Dave, you had, you said you had a couple of awards. Yeah, I have one more. Uh, and this is the uh, Cosmo Kramer Award. I don't know if you guys like the TV show Seinfeld. 
but the, the reason it's called the Cosmo Kramer Award, and by the way, it's going to go to several guys on this team. I'm handing a bunch of awards out today. Is because Kramer's a funny character, but you can't build the show around him. A little Kramer goes a long way. And if you see it a lot in these like movies or TV shows, that they have to have the right balance of the cast. And when Kramer was overly involved in some of the episodes, they frankly weren't very good. He's good in small doses. And I want to give out a Cosmo Kramer award. I'm sorry, to, to Stephen Adams, Dylan Brooks, John Conchar, and Santi Aldama. I like these guys. They're nice contributors to the team. But when they're asked to do maybe a little more than they're capable of doing, when Bane gets hurt, when Jaron's out, when, you know, Jaw can't play, when we have all these injuries, we see their limitations. They're a really nice part of the team. But like we talked about at the end of the Kings game, Adams' free throw shooting is a major concern. And I don't, if we see one more offensive foul at the top of the key, it drives me crazy. And I just think all of those guys are good contributors. But if they're a little out of balance in their usage, I think it throws off the team and exposes some of their weaknesses. I, I like to keep the cast together. And I think they play some good basketball. But I don't need, I don't need Conchar playing 35 minutes a night. Yeah, that's a, that's a great new award uh, to add to this segment. Shout out Larry David, but don't overuse uh, Kramer. I'll finish this up here and we'll get out of here. Um, something that's just deep in the Memphis culture, man, wings. Wings are a huge part of Memphis food, the Memphis food scene. There's so much debate. You like dry rub. You like hot wings. You like something with a little honey mustard in it, man. It is the best ones from Buffalo. Are they from Atlanta? Are they from Memphis? Are you a ranch guy? Are you a blue cheese guy? Like so much debate about wings. And so I'm giving out the wing of the week award and I'm giving it to Dylan Brooks who stepped up in a really big way. Uh, last four games, 23.3 points, 4.3 assists, 4.3 rebounds. That's uh, a good jump in the rebounding and assist numbers that I've uh, been really happy to see. Uh, about one and a half steals, and he's shooting at 45% from the field, 33 for, 33% for three, and 81% from the free throw line. He's been uh, a more efficient and consistent shooter. Maybe not when you compare him to some of the great shooters in our league, but as far as Dylan Brooks goes, like that's about as much as we can ask for from him. Uh, so shout out, Dylan. Uh, shout out the villain. That is my wing of the week award. Maybe we can get a little Memphis wing sponsor for that. And we can, we can bring that back every week, but yeah, shout out Dylan. Uh, shout, shout out uh, Steven Adams and everybody that got an award today in the trophy case. Uh, Xavier, why don't you plug your Twitter for us and yeah, uh, can, TikTok everything. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Zayton Tate's and then you can find my TikTok for more basketball analysis at underscore XZAY. Dave, what you got? Yeah, I'm at uh, Twitter at DLB19338. And if, if if we could just back to your award real quick. And we talked a lot about Dylan Brooks this week, and he's such a focal point of the team. Could we extend the show just for another minute? Yeah, absolutely, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. My bad. No, 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 Go no. Because I just want to get your opinion, both of you, on a, a comment I read on Twitter. It's, it's usually the same thing with Dylan, but he's such an important piece of the culture. It's always talking about, like, how he's a tone setter. He's part of the culture. And I, I guess I sort of think that's important when you're winning 20 games a year. You got to start establishing a winning culture. You got to start doing things. But I don't want guys now that are part of the culture. I want guys that produce. And I think sometimes that, like, well, he plays hard. He's a dog. He's part of the culture. He makes me really, really nervous at the end of the games. He can be highly emotional. And, and sometimes I, I find his basketball IQ isn't quite as good as, as like those are really intense moments in the game. He makes me very nervous. 
And so my, my point, to, and, and he, you're absolutely right though, Matt, he, he's been playing really, really well. And, and I hope it continues, but I'm, I guess the argument, well, he's so important part of the culture. I asked both of you, is, is that really, really vital at this point when we have a winning team, we're not just trying to establish a winning culture. Go ahead, Xavier. Yeah, I have to say, I, I agree with you. I feel like that Dylan needs to lose cannon. You don't know what to expect from him. I felt like I, I was afraid uh, late late this game against the Knicks. He was a little too emotional. I, I'm thinking, I know he picked up his sixth foul, but I saw him yelling and screaming. I'm like, yo, you got to chill, man. You know mm-hmm. how quick these refs are easily to call ticks nowadays. And then as well, his fast break game, he, it just does not look right when he has the ball in his hand coming down the fast break. You don't know if he's going to pass. You don't know if he's going to take an erratic shot. I mean, Dylan has provided a lot for us. Of course, he's a, 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 a he sets the tone defensively, but at the same time, it's the decision making, and that goes a long way. Especially if you now want chance championship aspirations. We saw what he did that game. Was it game five in the playoffs against the Warriors? He had that terrible, abysmal game. And I'll say this, he has become a little bit better with his decision-making, making the correct passes. He's been doing that a bit more. But we know it's, it's times that it just gets a little too over his head. And we just can't afford that to happen now that we are having intentions to going far into the playoffs. So I don't think Dylan is going to be here long term. And it's the reason why they haven't extended him. I think that they eventually we might be moving on from Dylan Brooks, but at the same time, he's still playing some great basketball right now. And maybe that's the thing, right? Like he's had a great week this week. That's why I gave him the award. He also deserves a lot of credit. You you mentioned that Zion kind of struggled in that Pelicans game. Dylan Brooks had yeah. a lot to do with that on the defensive end. Um, and maybe if this success is prolonged, maybe that means they trade him sooner rather than later, right? While the stock's still high. Uh, going back to the culture thing, I, I've said before, I don't think there's a single player more that fits with his city than John Morant. Dylan Brooks may be also in that conversation for the way that he fits into the culture of Memphis, but the difference is we have John Morant. You know, if Tyler Dorsey was still the point guard, then maybe Dylan Brooks is a lot more valuable to you to set that <laughs> culture and be that guy who is um, kind of that lead dog for you. But yeah, I think that he's had a really good week, though. And I, I honestly, I think the decision-making has improved. The thing is, like, without Bain, he has to be more aggressive. He's obviously uh, noted that. That has obviously um, made itself clear to him as well. And I think that that's why we've seen a huge jump in the point total. Uh, I don't want to see him being, or, or at least us relying on him to be a 23, 25-point scorer in the playoffs. I think he's best when he is 12 to 15 points on really efficient shooting and, and smart shot selection. And being the um, leader on the defense, but shout out Dylan. He still did have a really good week and mm-hmm. he still is a big part of that culture. But uh, anyways, um, Dave, go ahead, plug your socials for us and we'll wrap up here. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that guys. I enjoyed that conversation. Yeah. It's at Twitter DOB 1933 and uh, good to be with you both today. As always. And I'm at Matt H Gill. Follow us at the core four podcast as well on Twitter. Check out SBN Grizzlies on Twitter as well. And everything on the website. Uh, grizzlybearblues.com for all the written content. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. Stolen by Marin. Hammer, nail, coffin. This baby is over.